welcome to Emerge Church tonight. It's good to have you here. Um, if you don't know me, I just thought I'd do a quick introduction because there might be new people or people who don't know who I am. My name is Rachel. I uh, am on staff here at church doing a whole bunch of different things. Lots of, I like meet a lot of different people in the various sort of compartments of the church. So it's kind of good because I just get a you know, good view of everyone, young to old, everybody in between. It's awesome. Doing lots of different things here. Um, I'm a youth leader, so that's awesome too. Emerge youth. Uh, lots of different things. So that is who I am and that is why I'm here tonight. And so I wanna jump straight in and we're gonna uh, read from the Bible to start tonight. So if you have it with you, you can open it up or you can follow along on the screen. We're reading from Mark chapter two, verse 13 to 17. And the title sort of in the Bible passage that we're reading is Jesus calls Levi and eats with sinners. And it says, once again, Jesus went out beside the lake and a large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. And while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So tonight my message is called, Who's at Your Table? Would you close your eyes and we'll just open in prayer tonight. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that we have the freedom to gather here together with a family and community and we get to worship you and we get to listen to your word and we get to learn something about you tonight. And I just pray for every person in this room that their heart would be soft and ready to hear what you have to say to them. Lord, you would challenge us tonight to be more like you. That is what we want. We want to look like you, Jesus. And so I just pray tonight that you would come and stir each and every one of us to imitate you as we live this life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Have you ever been asked the question, if you could have dinner with three people, dead or alive, who would, the, who would those people be? I was trying to think of how to answer this question today. And as I thinking so much, I was like, I don't, there's just so many people, there's so many options. I was like, I could, you know, could say my husband, Jake, he's alive. I'd love to have dinner with him. I have dinner with him all the time, but I still love to have dinner with him. But I was thinking, you don't normally go for those things, right? You kind of, you think like, Big. You think, who's the biggest personality that I know? So a couple people I came up with was, and they have something in common, so it kind of says something about maybe what kind of music I like, but I thought Keith Urban, I don't know, just love his music. So I was like, that'd be fun. I was like, I actually think that'd be pretty like, he's from Kabulcha. So I'm like, I feel like it's actually not that unreasonable to have dinner. Maybe one day I could have dinner. Taylor Swift, that's, that, you knew I was gonna... The reason I chose Taylor Swift was because for like a lot of years as a teenager, I really loved Taylor Swift. And I think it's because of the curly hair kind of affinity. And then I realized like later on as I got older, I was like, she doesn't even have naturally curly hair. I was like, rude. I was like, she gets up every day when she has like concerts and stuff and curls her hair. And so I was kind of like, well, I'd still love like you know, kind of country vibes. I like her old music, not as much now, but it kind of tells you a little bit about me and like country music. 
And I was just couldn't think of a third one. Like I cannot think of someone. But as I was sitting before, I was talking to Che all day this afternoon and the third person I came up with, and probably many of you in this room wouldn't know who this person is. Some of you will. But there's a NRL player from the Sydney Roosters and his name is Angus Crichton. And for some reason, I was watching this football game. My husband loves football, so I have now, like, I love it. So good, I love sport. But I was watching this football game and there's this young, like, 19-year-old kid who's, like, debuting. It's his big first game in the NRL. And I was like, that's awesome, like, go. His name was Jaden. And I was like, yeah, that's awesome. You, you debut, you do well. And then he's, like, running down the field to score a try on debut. And I was like, this is amazing. And I was like, it's his first game in the NRL. He's going to score a try. So he's running down the field. Actually, no, sorry, I totally messed up the story. He wasn't trying to score a try. It was the other guy. It was Angus Crichton. He was running to score a try. And Jaden Campbell, this guy that was on debut, it's like runs down the field. So he's catching up to this guy who's about to score a try. And Angus Crichton turns to him. He's like, he's like run so far and caught up to him. And the Angus Crichton turns around and he like pokes his tongue out like, why, like, like you can't catch me, turns around and Jaden Campbell grabs his legs, but he scores the try. And I was like, I do not like bad sports. I just, it irks me. And so from that moment, I was like, I don't like you. <laughs> I was like, you, you're a bad sport. I was like, no. so I'd kind of like to have dinner with him to just tell him, you need to be nice to the ones that are on debut. <laughs> let them have a good game. Like, let them have a great first game. So they're my three people, Keith Urban, Taylor Swift, and Angus Crichton, for some reason. So, and you know, the, the dinner table is like all of you have a dinner table. All of you have sat at a dinner table. And to me, it's more than, the dinner table is more than just a meal, like a place to sit down and eat a meal. It's a place of community and it's a place where people come and like, you don't, it doesn't matter where you've been that day, it doesn't matter what you've done, you know, your family comes together and sits at the dinner table and eats dinner and you talk about your day. It's unity, it's family. And we also have like plenty of other dinner tables, you know, youth leaders after youth on a Friday night, we go to Macca's and it's like late, it's like 11.30, they usually lock us out and they take all the chairs inside so we can't sit on the chairs. So we all just sit on the tables and the chairs that are already out there. And to me, that's a dinner table. To me, we eat, it's like midnight, but we eat dinner and we sit around. It's people from every different occupation. It's people from every different background. And we all sit together and we talk and we, we build community, we build friendship. You know, after church on Sunday nights, young adults, youth, we go out to dinner, the same thing. Community is built around a dinner table. Everyone comes together, people of all different backgrounds, stories, history, ages, occupation. People come together around a table. And Jesus often had dinner or shared meals with people at a table. Through the Gospels, we hear different accounts. We read different verses of Jesus saying, I'm coming to your house for dinner tonight or I'm coming to you. And he always invites himself, which I think is funny. He doesn't have like a home, so he can't really invite people to his house. But I just think it's funny. But what amazes me about Jesus in this passage and all throughout his life is not once does Jesus invite the most well-known, famous, powerful, most knowledgeable people. He doesn't invite those people to his table. He always chooses to share dinner and a table with sinners, outcasts, the unknown people of society. 
Everywhere that he goes, every town, every village, Jesus is always seeking out the lost, the hurting, the broken, the sinners. And he is always repelled by those people who believe that they're too good to interact with those people. And in this passage, Jesus sets this example for us that I really believe is a key as we as a merged church move into new seasons and as God prepares us for a great harvest of people that we have been praying and believing for for so long and they're coming. You, you can look anywhere you go and you will find people who don't look like you people who don't think like you, people who don't act like you. You don't have to go very far to see that. Your workplace, you go out on the street, you go to dinner, you go out to youth on Friday night. Everywhere we go, there are people who are broken, hurting, poor, lost, outcast by family and society. And there's so many kinds of people that are going, I believe, are gonna come through our doors at Emerge Church that have never heard the good news, have never heard about Jesus. They have never been told that they are loved. They've never been told they have a purpose, that there's hope, that their past can be redeemed and restored and that their identity is secure. And Jesus has asked us and given us a great privilege and responsibility to be his hands and feet, to imitate him in this life and the way that he loved people. And so the place I wanna start in how we do this tonight is seeing like Jesus. Have you ever made like a snap call judgment on someone? You know, you see that person come into your workplace, come into church and you're like, nah, I just, yeah, we don't really gel. Like I don't really, uh, they're not really like me. I just, I, no, we're just not, uh, no, I'm not even gonna like, I'm not even gonna try because I just, yeah, we just wouldn't get along. And then two years later, here you are, like best friends. You go out to coffee every weekend, you're having brunch together. Maybe you, it's your person from your workplace and now your families like have lunch and have dinners on weekends and your kids play in the same football team and all these things. You're now best friends. But that original judgment was like, nah, I don't know. I don't really fit with them. We as humans are so quick to just make judgments and decisions about who we think someone is or what we think we know about their life. We just see the surface, the outside, and we think we've got it all figured out. And the Pharisees in this story did exactly the same thing. You know, the Pharisees as a whole sect of society in Jesus's time determined righteousness by good works, by an outward appearance. They did, these Pharisees did all the right things. They came to church twice on a Sunday. They prayed, they tithed, they helped the sick, they helped the poor, they helped the widows. Everything they did from the outside looked like right living. And they made judgments about people about the same things, about their good works, about their outward appearance. But they didn't actually know God. You know, the Hebrew thought behind this word know is more than just knowing about someone's existence, it's actually about, it means having a personal, deep and intimate relationship with someone. And I don't know about you, but with my best friends, with my husband, with my family, when, when you know someone deeply, you know the things that make them happy. You know the things that make them like laugh. You know the things that make them sad. You know the things that frustrate them. Jesus says in Matthew 7 that there will be many people who prophesy 
There'll be people who cast out demons, people who do wonders in the name of God, but they don't actually know Him. And there are many people, including the Pharisees, who did all the right things, but their hearts didn't know God personally. They didn't know that what actually brought God joy was seeing people being shown mercy and acceptance and kindness and forgiveness. All their right living was just religious duty, not out of a revelation of God's love for people. The Pharisees only saw sinner, the label. They only saw tax collector. They only saw people who were not like them, unclean, sinful, you're not as righteous as me. The Pharisees looked with judgment and condemnation. They just saw an outward appearance. And of course, it's so shocking to the Pharisees when they see Jesus sitting at a table full of sinners and tax collectors, all these people that they just made judgments about. They had done, these people at the table with Jesus had done absolutely nothing They'd done no good works. They'd not, probably didn't go to the temple. They probably didn't tithe. They probably didn't pray. They probably didn't do any of the good works that they were supposed to to earn righteousness, to earn a place at the table. Have you ever seen someone get something you worked, you think you worked super hard for? You're like, put in all the effort. You're like, you know, maybe it's a sport thing. I know for me, I had experiences like that where, you know, you're playing like, you're working so hard because you wanna make this sport team and you like train every day, you go for runs, you like do everything you need to do and you still don't make it into this team. And then there's just someone who's just like, shows up for the like tryout. Does like 50% effort. And they get into the team. How frustrating is that when you're like working so hard for something and then you don't even get it and someone who does nothing gets everything that you wanted. To me, that's exactly what happens to the Pharisees. You know, they're, they're there like throwing this temper tantrum in this story. I, imagine, I visualize it in my head. They're like standing off to the side. There's this big table with like people laughing and there's joy and they're passing bread around and they're like shaking hands and smiling at each other and Pharisees in the corner like this. And they're like, are you serious? Didn't you see me go to church today, Jesus? Didn't you see how much money I put in the offering? Did you even see me? They're like standing there off to the side, all tantrum, huffy puffy, thinking, Jesus, don't you know what I've done for you? And they're like, Jesus, don't you know that all the people sitting at the table, do you know what they did today? They stole and they lied and they gossiped. And do you know what? Maybe they even murdered someone today. Yes, Jesus actually did know those things. <laughs> he did. But unlike the Pharisees, Jesus saw something different in people. Jesus saw beyond an outward appearance. You know, earlier in the passage, we read that Jesus walked past Levi at the tax collector's booth. And that's when he says, follow me, and Levi gets up and follows Jesus. You know, tax collectors at the time were not liked at all. They were very much hated. And with the things that they did, probably fair, they, when people paid their taxes, the tax collectors would like collect it, but they would skim some off the top, stick it in their little like coin purse or whatever they used, and they'd keep it for themselves. 
They lied. They were cheaters. They were ripping people off. And when Jesus walked past Levi sitting at the tax collector's booth, well, he would have been at work, right? He would have been sitting at the, his job in a tax collector's booth. He probably had like a pile of money hidden under the booth that he'd stolen from people today. And when Jesus walked past him, he didn't look at the tax collector's booth. He didn't look at the money that was in the coin purse. All he saw was Levi. He just saw a sinner who was in need of a saviour. Jesus looked at who he could be. He looked at who God created him to be, a gatherer of people, someone who could proclaim the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ. As humans, I think it's our natural inclination to just see the outward appearance. And I know as much as any of us in this room, I'm guilty of this. You know, at Youth on Friday Nights, I have like a life group of some senior girls. And to be honest, I look at some of them sometimes, I don't know how we ended up together. Like, I don't know how you ended up, I don't know how you ended up with me. We are the complete opposite. Like every part of our life, every part of the way they dress, every part of the way they speak is the complete, I just tell you, the complete opposite. We have nothing in common. Like our whole lives, we have had nothing in common. And sometimes... I look at them and I look at some of these girls and I'm just like, I just, are you just, are you too far gone? Like, are you, are you ever gonna get it? Like, are you ever going to say yes to Jesus? Because sometimes I'm like, there's no way. Like, there's no way. You are too in deep. You've been through too much. And God reminds me every single time, look at what I see. He always turns me back to what he sees in them, which is not what they're doing right now. It's not their actions right now. It's not the way they talk right now. It's not what they've been through. It's always future-minded. It's always about a higher calling. And I'm always reminded of that. I always have to come back to that. And I'm like, okay, yes, okay. I'm sorry for just looking at the outward appearance. I'm sorry I just looked at, you know, where they are, where it looks like they are right now, would you remind me, God, of who you've called them? Would you show me who you've called them to be so that I can call that out in them? Because if I just looked at the outward appearance, I wouldn't see any of that. I believe that if we wanna start seeing revival and radical transformations of death to life, then we have to start seeing like Jesus opening our eyes, not just to see the surface, but to look deeper, to look past the current situation, to look past the outward appearance. The world around us does not need any more people that are looking at an outward appearance. The world around us needs us as followers of Jesus, firstly, to know the heart of God and then to actually see them how Jesus sees them with undeserved grace and mercy and their potential and their purpose in Him. And then we have to be like Jesus. Not always easy. Jesus is our greatest example of how to live life of worship to God and and how to love people. Jesus first sees people differently, but then He's always moved with compassion. 
Story after story, we read Jesus seeing all these people who were sick and broken and hurting and in need of a Saviour, but then He was always moved with compassion to do something about it. So what does Jesus do that we, we need to do to be like Him? Jesus drew close to people. He ate dinner with them. He went to their homes He sat down at a table full of sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes, murderers. Why? Because Jesus' heart was the heart of God, which was people. He says in Luke 4 that he was anointed to bring good news to the poor, freedom to the captives, sight to the blind, and to set the oppressed free. He came for those who who were sick, not for those who were healthy. He came for sinners Jesus came for the ones who needed a saviour, who needed healing, who needed restoration. And he was not afraid to actually move towards those people to see them have what they needed. He invited them, he welcomed them, he made room for them to come to him. And they did. When Jesus invited, people always followed, people always went with him. And it says there were many at that table because there were many who followed him. There was no judgment, there was no condemnation, there was no need for him to see a checklist of all the good things they've done. There's no need to see their changed behaviour first. I think that table was full because for so long, these people had been discarded and despised and outcast and ridiculed and shut down and judged by people who had only looked at an outward appearance of their life and they labelled them unclean, unrighteous, not worthy. And then here comes this man, this long-awaited Messiah, who instead of standing at a distance, making pride-filled judgments, set a place at a table for them with no catch and no conditions. And Jesus met people where they were. He went to their homes. He went to their towns. There was no expectation for people to clean up their act or show a record of all the good things. Jesus was just looking for humility. He said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus was not looking for people who thought that they were righteous, He was looking for people who knew that they were a sinner. He was just looking for people and he welcomed anyone who was willing to lay down their pride and just say, I need you, Jesus. Now, every person in this room could identify with the sinners in this passage. We've all fallen short. We've all sinned. Every single one of you. Don't pretend that you don't. But if you've given your life to Jesus in this room tonight, it's because even while you were that sinner, you encountered mercy and the grace of Jesus. Can you remember the moment that you realised the love of Jesus? Can you remember the moment that you had when you said yes to following him? And can you remember that when that happened, there was a passion and a fire to see everyone have this same encounter as you. 
When you've had that experience, when you've had the revelation of Jesus Christ and that He loves you even while you were a sinner, you just can't help but want everyone to have the same thing. And sometimes I think as time goes on, we can forget what it's like to be that sinner. Our hearts can grow hard and judgmental, just like the Pharisees. We look around at people in our church or in our workplace or in our family, in youth group, in young adults, in our life groups, and we can make a judgment about an outward appearance of their life. They're too far gone. They're never gonna come back. They're just not you know, at the right level yet. They're still struggling with this pride in our own heart just creates distance from others and it stops us from seeing like Jesus and being like Jesus. What would happen if we as followers of Jesus, but also we as a church, decided to see and be like Jesus? If we saw past an outward appearance of someone's life and instead of you know, making judgments and bringing condemnation, we actually moved towards people and welcomed them and invited them to eat at our table. Our table's not just our home. Our table's not just, you know, the family dinner table that's at our specific home address. A table is community. A table's wherever you are. It might be a table at Emerge Youth. It might be a table at your life group. It might be a table after church on a Sunday night. It might, be, it might be in your home. What if we made room for people to come and encounter the mercy and the grace and the kindness of Jesus Christ that we've once encountered and we know that they desperately need? Is it easy? Absolutely not. <laughs> it's not always easy to, to be like Jesus. Is it messy? Definitely Come to Emerge Youth on a Friday night and we will show you (laughs) that it's not easy and it's very messy sometimes to welcome people who are the complete opposite of us as Christians. But it is our privilege and it is our responsibility and it is our calling to go out into the world, to make disciples, to see people come to encounter Jesus. We've got a choice to make. Who are we gonna be? Are we gonna be like the Pharisees? Are we gonna stand in a corner, huff and puff and wonder why this person's here, question their life, question their outfit, question their decisions? Or are we gonna be like Jesus? Are we gonna see the way that he sees? Are we gonna move towards people? And maybe I can get the band to come back and join me. Now, as I was preparing this message, I really just feel like this, What I'm about to say is not just like, you know, a nice saying to add into a sermon, but is actually what's gonna happen for our church. I feel like it's a bit of a prophetic vision and word for our church. You know, I believe that there's a great harvest and, you know, Jesus says it in the Bible, but he says the harvest is plentiful. It's true back then. But I believe right now it's true for us as Emerged Church. There's a great harvest of people. But it it does require us 
to see and to be like Jesus. There are people that God is going to bring to us, to our church, that do not think the way that we think. They don't have it all together. They have never heard about Jesus, ever. They don't know how to live like a Christian. Sometimes I think we end up in this little Christian bubble world where everyone kind of, you know, we encourage each other and that's what church is for and it's great because we do need to encourage each other. But sometimes people come in and we're shocked because they're like, we're like, oh, you don't know how to do. Okay, you don't live that way. Shocked by them. But that's the whole world out there. We're not meant to stay in this little church bubble. I believe God's waiting for us, His people, to get His heart and His compassion and His mercy to welcome people regardless of how they look, regardless of their lifestyle, regardless of their past history or even where they currently are. And we're gonna have the opportunity to invite people to our tables, to show hospitality and to move with compassion to people with no catch and no conditions. And this love and this mercy that we have the opportunity and will have more opportunities to show is going to be so radical to people that they will be completely undone by Jesus. I believe that death to life transformations are coming. Those same, those same youth that I talked about before, I believe wholeheartedly that they at the moment look like death. Their life, not physically, but you can see it on their life. There's so much death. There's so much brokenness. There's so much trauma. And I can see that. But I believe, and I haven't seen it yet, but I'm believing that they're gonna have one moment where they go from death to life. And God's gonna bring us people that need the same thing. They are gonna go from death to life. The transformations are coming. God is going to bring people, but are we ready? Are our eyes open to see like Jesus? Are we ready to move towards people, to be like Jesus, to be His hands and feet? Now I wanna ask you tonight, who is at your table currently? There's no condemnation in this place tonight because I'm as... I said it before, I do it sometimes too. We all do. Maybe tonight your table is just, you know, full of the same sort of people that you see all the time. Maybe your table is just full of like your church friends, your life group, the people that are just the same people that you see, you know, you're connected to. That's your table right now. I wanna pray for us as a church right now that we would be people that see and be like Jesus, that we would be a church full of people that see beyond the outward appearance and we look at who God has created people to be and that we would actually invite people to our table and when they come, because they will, that we would be waiting with open arms to welcome them to make them feel loved, 
to love on them extravagantly the way Jesus did. No catch, no condition. You don't need to change first. You don't need to show me all the good things you've done this week. We just welcome them and love them the way Jesus did.